hello, my friends. Thank you so much for being here. This is Rick Thomas, and you're listening to Life Over Coffee. I have something fun for you in this podcast. I'm going to take you behind the curtain. We're going to go into our mastermind program, and I want to walk you through a case study. This is a case study that our students have to do, and I was working this case study for one of our students, and as I was going through the notes, I thought, you know, this this might be good to put into a podcast just to give you an idea of some of the training that we do for our students. Now, this will not be exhaustive in any way. Our students go through the rigors of uh, our mastermind program to learn how to be a biblical counselor according to their God-given gifting, meaning that God did not create create all Christians equally. Some people have a higher gift for counseling. Some do not. That's fine. Some can be great singers, and some can be just like me, and that's fine too. As long as we know our place, and of course our students understand this, and they're very thankful that they can go through the program and identify what their strengths and weaknesses are and know where they become a good fit within God's world, within the local church. Some of them can be high-end formalized counselors, and then others, they just become fantastic friends. Others are somewhere in between that, a high-end formalized counselor and a fantastic friend. They can be disciple makers. I'm just using these terms just to give you an idea of the stratification, the gradations, because it's important that you understand our worldview when it comes to training people, because the end game, the goal, the end result of all of this is that we are helping people. And if we said that everybody is certified and you interpret interpreted that as, as most people do, because they're looking for a certified biblical counselor, and the assumption is that all counselors are created equally, and it just isn't true. And so we don't want to do that. Everybody doesn't receive the same training. Everybody does not come out at the same place. I say that so that you can get an idea that our training is comprehensive. And what I'm going to share with you in this podcast is just a small snippet, okay? This is not an exhaustive treatment of what our mastermind course is. But with all of that said, there's an aspect of our training where our our students have to work through 48 case studies. Now if they if they did a block of assignments every 2 weeks, they would finish this training in 2 years. And so every 2 weeks or twice a month they would do a case study, 48 case studies would be a two-year program. And so that is the pace. And of course, some of them do it in three and four years. But whatever that pace is, there are 48 case studies that they have to work through. And that is only a part of their practicum. And so I want to walk through one of those case studies that they have to go through. The title of this case study is The Confession of an Imposter's 
wife. Now, you can find this case study on our website. All 48 of our case studies are in the public domain. You can have them. In fact, we have them in a, a PDF. You can download them into an e-booklet if you wish. But these case studies are a couple of hundred words, and then they have questions that the student has to answer. And one of the things that you could do for fun, if you find this fun, is you can go to this particular case study, Confession of an Imposter's Wife. You can read the short pericope here, and then you can answer the three questions. Because the case studies are so short, I'm going to read this to you, and then I want to walk through some of the aspects, some of the things that you should be looking for if you were counseling this lady. Now, I'm not going to give you an exhaustive treatment of how to counsel this lady, but I'm just going to point to some of the things that you do have to address with this woman. And so I want to share those things with you. And again, I trust looking at an aspect of our practicum, which is an aspect of our overall training, that it will give you an idea of the thoroughness and the goodness that you can experience in our Mastermind program. And if you believe that you have a leadership gift, not that it's perfected as we all are a work in progress, but you have the presence of a leadership gift, you believe this internally, that God is raising you as a leader. You also have affirmation externally. Other folks see that in you, and you want to grow in your disciple-making. Well, maybe this is something for you. And so there's a link here if you want to look at an introductory presentation of our mastermind training to get all the details. And if it's of interest to you, Come on board. Come in the water. It's all fine. All right, let me read this short uh, case study uh, for you, and then I want to jump into some of the elements, some of the things that you should be looking for. It would be good as you listen to this that you jot down a few things like, oh, that's important. Oh, that's important. I want to address, address that. All right, here it is. Case study, confession of an imposter's wife. My husband's lack of interest in our marriage has left me in a surreal search for self-worth through a myriad of surrogate husbands. These tack-on husband replacements are not working. I went to a Bible study, and I, I learned what it meant to be a Christian. Discipline, commitment, being nice, and Christian duty. So I gave them a try. Discipline was exhausting. Commitment became overcommitment. Being nice swallowed my joy. More duty led to less freedom. Now I'm trapped while I wait on my prince, who is of pursuing his personal love affair with himself. I remember when we first began dating. With creativity and resolve, my husband set his sights on me. Today, he left a... Well, he left a long time ago and settled for false lovers that have not brought the satisfaction that he craves. I want my husband to know me. I, I want to know that I am worth fighting for and rescuing. My adventurer turned into milk toast. He would deny this, but he is an imposter. 
He has set his life trajectory, and he is bouncing from one orbit to the next in search of only God knows what. His life does not touch my soul, and I I live a life of disconnectedness from my used-to-be adventurous husband. And that is the case study. Again, confession of an imposter's wife. Our mastermind students have three questions that they have to answer, and that is the way all 48 case studies work. They are just that short, and then the the, the, uh, student answers the questions that we have supplied, and then they send that to us, the supervisors, and then we, super, we, we return it back with a whole lot of red ink to the things that they have said. And through this process, 48 times, again, there's more to their practicum. This is just an aspect. Remember, our mastermind program is a three-legged stool. There is theology, there is psychology, there is application. Now, what that means is theology is the foundation All of life flows out of the Bible. We come from a sufficiency of God's Word, worldview, and so all of life flows out of Scripture. And so out of a theological foundation is psychology. And what I mean by that is the study of the soul. That is a Greek word. It is a Bible word. I know when most people hear psychology, they think of secular psychology. I'm not talking about that at all. I'm talking about the application of the word to a person's soul. That is pure psychology. And so there is theology, then there's psychology, which is more conceptual. And then the third leg is application. And this is the hard part. We understand concepts about how to apply the Bible to people's lives, but how do you do it in a real-world situation? And that's where our case studies come in handy. And so we have more to our practicum than just the case studies, but again, this is just an aspect. All right, so let me walk through this. Now, honestly, the first sentence of this case study, as you heard it, is the most important sentence. And so I'm going to repeat that to you so that you hear it, that you hear uh, what this lady what this lady said. And then from that, really, the first sentence just reveals everything about, about this hurting woman. She said, my husband's lack of interest in our marriage has left me in a surreal search for self-worth through a myriad of surrogate husbands. Now, there are a lot of parts to what she said. This sentence here that I just read to you, and if you want to read the case study, it's right here in the show notes, and you can read it yourself. You can copy and paste it. You're welcome to do that. But this sentence that I just shared with you is involved. The imposter's wife What she said was four complex things, and they are interrelated. And to help her, you will have to explore all four of these things. And so I want to, I'll share with you the four things that she said, and then I'll get into the details of each one. And if I have time, there's one more point that I want to make as well, because it is a huge point to the complexity of this specific case study. But she said, my husband's lack of interest in our marriage has left me in a surreal search for self-worth through a myriad of surrogate husbands. So here are the four complex 
and interrelated things that she said. Number one, lack of interest. Her husband has a lack of interest in her. Number two, it has sent her on a surreal search. And then number three, she talks about her self-worth. I want to explore that. And then number four, she talked about surrogate husbands. So all four of these things are interrelated, and they all they are also sequential. If you follow, they're like stepping stones that lead into deeper complexity if you follow the process. So a lack of interest, surreal search, self-worth, and surrogate husbands. All right, so let's take lack of interest. All spouses have an expectation of their partner showing interest in them. This is a good desire, and you, you, do, you do not want to dismiss this out of hand for anyone. Anybody, a counselee comes to you and, you know, my husband has no interest in me or my wife has no interest in me. On its face, part of that is, well, that's a good desire, and so you don't want to come at that with get over yourself, because God made us for a community. And so this lady here, I haven't given her a name, but let's do that. What about Mabel? I just made that up. Let's call her Mabel. God made Mabel for a community. And so Mabel is expressing a God-given desire. And that's why you don't want to minimalize that or marginalize that as though it's not important. And so that's part of the complexity here. Because what has happened with, with all good desires, that they can morph into something that's bigger and more controlling than what it should be. And the problem with Mabel's right desire for community with her husband, let's call him Biff, is that her desire is dependent on someone else to enhance or to fulfill it. And what Mabel can do and what she has done, she is fixating on what Biff is not doing, and she's fixating in unhelpful ways, which has led to a bondage that she is in now. And and that's deceptive here, because she has a good desire, and sometimes we don't see the backdoor liability of good desires, and we don't see how it can exploit us and, and capture us. And, and so that's one of the things that's happened here to Mabel. And so one of the things that you want to explore is how this relationship got to this point. See, remember, Mabel's coming to you, and they have been married for a long time. And so this is where they are today. But you don't want to presume that they were not always that, that, that they, they were always like this because that's probably not true. For example, in their dating relationship, I'm sure that in their dating relationship, it was glorious. It was, it was everything that they wanted it to be. Of course, love is blind, and we know that, and love is very blind in a dating relationship. And so, sure, dating wasn't perfect, but it was okay. It was okay enough to get married. And so the question that you have to ask is, where did it where did it go wrong 
Now, one of the things that I encourage our students to do is to, is to speculate. We can biblically speculate because we, we understand fallenness. We understand theology. We understand psychology, the word, uh, the word applied to the soul. And so we understand these concepts. And so that gives us safe parameters to where we can speculate. I'm not talking about being dogmatic. I'm not talking about making statements or assertions as though they are facts, but we can think outside of the box when a person comes. And so you're asking the question that this is where you are now, but it probably wasn't always this way, like when you were dating. So where did it go wrong? What were some of the typical scenarios of how it went wrong from dating to where you are now? And one of those things I would say one of the things I would want to explore anyway is the lack of attentiveness of the husband. I mean, she's saying that. You heard that in the in the case study that I read to you. Did you know that passivity of a husband is like – I told someone this recently, that passivity is the number one problem, a husband's passivity and a wife's lack of passivity, her aggression, her assertiveness. Those two things are the most common marriage counseling situations that you'll ever run into. Not that husband and wife will be, that the husband will be passive and the wife will be assertive. Both of them could be that way, but one or the other, it could just be one or the other happening. And so passivity from a husband, well, it could be the fountainhead for many things that go wrong in a marriage. And it will have an effect. If a husband is passive, if he's unattentive, as Mabel is describing here, it will affect this wife. It will affect the children because they will not see what Christ and the church could look like. And it will affect their children as well because these children won't have a template. And so when they get married, a biblical template, and so when they get married and have their own children, well, they can mess them up too because of Biff's passivity in this case. And so, as I would tell my student, you want to explore these these options. Now, one of the things that I'd also want to explore with Mabel, and you have to listen carefully here, is is Mabel, it, it, does, is, she, is there a lack of joy to be around her? I mean, is she someone you want to be around? You want to be careful here when you listen to folks sharing their story, because if you go back and read this case study, and by the way, in the case study, there's a podcast, so you can just listen to it if you want. But if you read or listen to it, one of the things that you're going to see is that Mabel is not addressing not even one syllable of her responsibility in the marriage. And so if you read it, it's like there is nothing in this case study about any culpability on Mabel's part. The full force of this case study is about what is wrong with Biff. And I said, sure, you want to explore his potential passivity, which she's, she's pointing to, she's talking about. But I would also want to go to the other side and I would say, well, what are you like? How have you contributed? Now, you want to be careful here. Because what you have here is what I call the victim center 
complex or the victim-centered construct. You have a person who is legitimately victimized by a knuckle-headed husband. I mean, for the sake of argument, I'm saying that her story is true. Of course, you have to explore that as well. But let's say that her story is true. Well, she is a victim. But you also know that Adam's fall was not selective to just one gender or to just one person in the marriage. And one of the things that we talk a lot about in our uh, training is this interplay between empathy and sympathy. You don't want to be empathetic with anyone. You want to be sympathetic. And it all connects to or surrounds the preposition. Empathy means the preposition is in. Sympathy, the preposition is with. And the illustration that we use with our our students is that if you're empathetic, it would be like jumping into the lake with a drowning victim. And that there's no lifeguard training that would tell you that that is what you should do. Sympathy is you're with them, but you don't jump in. With and in, those are the two words. And so you stand on the shore, you stand on the dock, you stand on the boat, and you throw a lifeline to the person to pull them out. But if you are an empathetic counselor, you're going to hear this story here, and what you will do is you'll jump in the lake, and she will drown, and you will drown, and and you will never be able to help her because you will never navigate her out of her victimness. And that's where this tension comes between the victim and sinner. Now, again, you would not say these things as clearly as I am saying to her because a part of being sympathetic is being compassionate, but you also part of being sympathetic is having the courage as well to lead her. And so one of the things that you want to explore with Mabel is this idea of double confession. Double confession means it, it, it works out like this. I sin against you, and I confess that sin to you. I would, I would say in 99.9999% of the time, the person that was sinned against responds sinfully one way or the other, either by harboring bitterness or, or just retaliating in uh, a, a louder anger. But many, maybe 99.99% is, is not accurate, but my point here, even if that's hyperbolic, is that in most sin situations between two people, both of them sin. One initiates and the other one sins in response, and because of that, there should be a double confession where I confess to you and ask you to forgive me for getting angry at you or whatever my, my offense is, and then you say, well, I do forgive you, and oh, by the way, I mean, I, I was sinning in my heart against you. Will you forgive me? That doesn't happen in a lot of relationships, and it leads to an accumulative effect of ongoing sin in the relationship that is imperceptible, People imperceptible in the sense that people don't realize what they're doing to themselves. And so it could work out like this. Biff disappoints Mabel. Mabel reacts sinfully. For example, she could retreat and isolate. Maybe she gives him the silent treatment. Maybe she harbors a grudge. And then Biff senses what Mabel is doing to him, 
This concept is the cyclic effect of sin. And when a couple doesn't practice a double confession, this cycle will start, it will pick up speed, and it will perpetuate where they are now coexisting under the same roof, but they are not a loving couple. And so I'm dealing with this. I said there were four complex things that are interrelated. I'm dealing with this lack of interest. And so Mabel says, my husband's lack of interest in our marriage. Well, I'm taking this from a sympathetic angle. I am listening to her. I am compassionate toward where she is. But I also want to throw her a lifeline. I don't want to jump in the water. And so I want to address Biff's culpability, and I want to address hers as well if it's there. I don't want her to drown in her victimness. And so I'm asking two questions. Well, what has Biff done wrong? And in another kind of way, I'm asking, what have you done wrong? And then she's, the second thing she says is that it has sent her, uh, it has left me in a surreal search for self worth. You could translate the word surreal to blind, that she can't see. The complexity of a good and expected desire. You see, she has this good desire that her husband love her and he's attentive to her. No problem with that. Score. I, 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 I affirm that, but when it doesn't happen, it can send you into this delusional spiral where your judgment alters in ways that you do not fully detect until it's too late. And that's what you'll see in this sequence. I mean, she she has this lack of interest from her husband. It sent her in a surreal search that's tied to her self-worth to where she has developed surrogate husbands. And that's why I'm connecting the word surreal to the word blind or the word a delusional spiral where her judgment is altered is, is what I said, that she's not fully detecting. See, when multiple pieces converge in a people in a person's mind... Surreal, blindness, delusion, those are the effects. And so she's feeling it. She, there's a surrealness to what's going on in her marriage. It's, it, there's a blindness as well, and that creates a delusional effect. And the numerous elements are such things as good desires. Here's some of the component parts that led to this surreal, blindness, delusional effect. She has a good desire, but she's been disappointed Perhaps she has responded in bitterness. Maybe she is isolated. Actually, she has isolated because she says that she has surrogate husbands. She's lonely. She's admitted that. She's finding kindness from another surrogate husband. I don't know if that kindness is a human relationship or if it's, it's something else. And so there is. she's receiving satisfaction from this good desire that's being met through other sources. That's the surrealness there. There is a good desire, there is disappointment, there is bitterness, there is isolation, there is loneliness, there is kindness from another, and there is a satisfaction. She's receiving that good desire now. And so Mabel said, my husband's lack of interest in our marriage has left me in a surreal search for self-worth through a myriad of surrogate husbands. I'm at the end of my time here, and I've only covered two of these aspects, but what I've done here is I have put in these show notes the exact response that I gave to my student. I address the idea of self-worth, which is a big deal. 
and she has to understand what self-worth is and how she is corrupting the idea of self-worth because of this longing that she has to be loved by someone. And then also get into this idea of surrogate husbands. And as I already said, that surrogate husbands doesn't necessarily mean another man. It could be another man. It could be another woman, for that matter. It could be another person is what I'm saying, but you don't want to necessarily assume that. It could be that she is a ministry leader in her church, that she's leading a Bible study, or maybe she is in a career, that Mabel's in a career, and she has given herself over to that surrogate husband which could be a man, it could be a career, it could be a ministry, maybe it's something else. Sometimes children become surrogate husbands as they are the people that, in this case, Mabel surrounds herself with so that she could feel appreciated, she could feel a part of a, a community. And so I don't know what surrogate husbands mean, but you do want to explore that. And then I said there was a fifth thing And I've talked about it a little bit, but it's this idea of victimology. You cannot read this case study and not hear Mabel saying to herself that she is a victim. The etymology of the word victim traces back to a root that means vicarious. A victim is a person who takes on the sin of another. And this is the most dangerous thing about this case study, is that The way Mabel's communicating it is rather apparent that she is taking on the role of a victim. She didn't ask Biff to be this way. No, she didn't say, hey, I want to be a victim. No, this is something that Biff did to her. But because, again, the etymology of the word victim means vicarious, and if you continue to carry the sin of another, whether you wanted it or not, if you continue to carry it, It will bury you. And so what you want to do is to carefully walk her out of her victimness. She needs to be a victor. Christ is our example of this. And if you don't, she will bury herself in a constellation of sin surrounded by case-hardened self-righteousness. I am right. He is wrong. I am a victim. He needs to meet my expectations. And so it is problematic. I have all these things listed here. And if you want to talk to me about these things, please jump on our community forums. But this is a snapshot of a case study from our Mastermind program. Thanks for listening. You have been listening to Life Over Coffee with Rick Thomas. If you have a question for Rick, you can let him know by sending him a note through his website, rickthomas.net. That's rickthomas.net. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your coffee.